Welcome to the Digital Brand Builder Podcast, where we bring you the best growth strategies from the world's experts to help build your business fast. And now, here's your host, Mark Fidelman. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Digital Brand Building Podcast. Today, joining me is Douglas Brown. And Doug and I are going to talk about optimizing your sales process. Now, normally, you know, our show is more f- marketing focused, but as you know, I have a ex- background in sales and I like to, to sometimes bring in sales as part of marketing because I believe, as you should, that they should be working hand in hand and not just a hand off from marketing to sales. So with that, Doug, would you please introduce yourself and uh, then we'll jump right into it. Wonderful. Well, thanks for having me on the show for us, Mark. I appreciate being here. I fully agree that sales and marketing should be a, a as one. It is a you know customer journey, not separate parts of the, the journey. Um, and you know, I mean, I, I spend most of my time helping companies today increase their sales revenues. And I you know I began working at the age of three for my dad and worked in a family business. Learned how to build a business on your back. <laughs> um, you know, and then it had about 35 companies between the time of, uh, I would say, age 13 and now being 58. You know, the big thing I'm, I'm impressed by, uh, because Chet Holmes actually was the, the person, the, the first book I read that like, shit, this guy's knows what he's talking about. And I, I love his, I still use his ideas of workshops and, and some of the other things that he has, even in marketing. You know, and I know he was very sales focused, but can you tell us briefly a little bit about, you know, how you've served as, you know, a president of sales and training for, for Tony Robbins, Chet Holmes and Russ Whitney? Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to. I mean, so the way the relationship came around with Chet is I was actually in a business that I was doing and I was coaching and helping companies uh, outside that it was a telecommunications business. And uh, I did some work for a gentleman named Jay Conrad Levinson, who wrote a book series called Guerrilla Marketing. And uh, Jay was pretty impressed, evidently, with what I was doing for him. So he introduced me to Chet. And I actually started as a client of Chet's and was literally able to double my business uh, on the telecommunications side. So during that time, I, I approached uh, his top people and said, hey, you know, I'd like to actually like to uh, coach for you people. You know, if you wouldn't mind. So they gave me a shot and I became their number one producing coach in the first uh, six months of the company's history. And uh, it just kind of grew from there. I ended up becoming the individ- uh, eventually the independent president of training and sales for Chet. Um, and I ran uh, everything. And then Tony came along. He wanted to buy in. So I became that for Tony. Uh, after I did it for Tony, because we did it for so many companies, you know, we would, a lot of companies would come to us, whether it was, uh, you know, Deepak Chopra or Brian Tracy or any of the big names who pretty much came to us to figure out what we were doing because we were growing so fast and making such a splash, you know, on uh, XM radio and, uh, you know, Sirius Satellite and all those. So uh, that kind of led me after I was done with that, uh, Russ Whitney and I were at an event uh, together. We kind of got talking and he said, hey, I think we can help each other. So I ended up doing that for him which to my surprise was a, a wonderful uh, thing to do because I learned so much from him and I'm so grateful to the guy. 
you know, and for those people who don't know him, he had a billion dollar company, he owned other brands like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and a bunch of other brands like that. Yeah, I mean, an impressive group of people. So am I stating this correctly? You you train them or you would take over their sales or what? what is it that you did for, for each of them? So for Chet, or, you know, after... After the, so I was the number one producing coach in the company, right? So I come in, I'm doing in my first six months, I'm doing sixty five thousand a month in coaching. So it kind of caught their attention, right? Um, because that wasn't what their average coach would do. So from there, I ended up actually uh, going through parts of the company. I was always constantly trying to make the company better, right? I was trying to optimize everything within the company. So eventually, what happened was they asked me to take over the sales side of the business. So I handled the front end sales. I handled the presenters, the trainers. Um, I had, uh, I co-managed coaching. I helped in the consulting division. So I had 166 uh, direct reports coming to me or reports through working for me. And um, I was literally able to take and increase their close rates and, um, you know, jeeped up their a lot of their product sets i had one product set that just took off we went you know we grew it by 862 percent in the first year so that got their attention because it was bringing in millions uh, of dollars uh, additional per month and so you know things just kept growing from from that point on and i would just go back and and look at what i do for companies now was just optimizing within their companies so their profitabilities would go up as well as their revenues very, very good. And I wanted to provide that background because uh, as we move into optimizing your sales process, people understand where this is coming from. Uh, and so you've done it. You've done it for, you know, one of my, uh, and I don't have a lot of them, but one of the, the people I look up to in sales, Chet Holmes, uh, that, that says a lot. So let's now move into optimizing your sales process first of all let's define it how do you define optimizing your sales process so optimizing is really working on the efficiencies of the sales process right so there's two parts to it really one's being more effective i.e let's make it work better overall and the second part is let's make all the individual components within work far more efficiently and so when we look at both sides of that, how do we make it effective overall and how do we fix everything within in the, you know, the micro components of it? Um, it's very effective. And what ends up happening is a lot of the problems that were in companies before seem to melt off because we're looking at parts that maybe are missing. We're looking at parts that are maybe there, but they're not working as optimally as they want them to. Or we're finding things within the model that don't even make sense of what they're trying to accomplish. So they need to eliminate certain things. So, you know, it's like shedding weight in that, that capacity. You know, you see somebody that might be a uh, hundred pounds overweight and then all of a sudden they take the weight off and they look totally different. So it makes it a lot lighter and easier to move. Um, so there's different facets of it, but it's really about improving and optimizing. Uh, optimization is really about improving the efficiencies and the overall effectiveness of the whole customer journey as it relates to sales. Okay. And what's kind of the, let's just say, you know, somebody listening to this hires you to help them with optimizing their sales process. What's the first thing you look at? First thing that we do is we get very truthful on the goal. <laughs> right? So 
Um, you know, Chet used to have this as one of his core competencies, you know, goals. So the reality is, you know, I, I worked with she's uh, tens of thousands of businesses while I was working with Chet. And so I would survey them and I found out, you know, the average company, they set their goals once a year. So what we do here is we get very truthful on what those goals are going to be and what time frame we're going to achieve them in. Not, not honest, because honest is subjective. Truthful is this is not going to move and we can measure against it. So once we get that clear, that's the first thing that we start. The next thing is we need to know where we're at. So we assess the companies. We figure out what's going on. We look at everything. We do interviews with people within the company. Sometimes we use, um, I would call them uh, assessments, right? Um, to find out the behavior or find out where, where it might be. So we're looking at the processes, the skills, and the people. We're, we're all along that process. Um, so, and then from there, what we do is we help build out a, a, a personalized growth plan for that particular company. Because even though principles apply to most companies, not every company is set up to, to uh, want to have uh, what another company has done. So it becomes a personalized growth plan. And from there, they either, you know, usually either hire us and say, hey, let's, you know, work it through. Um, or, you know, I've given them enough information where they can actually take it and do it themselves. I've had a few people do that as well. All right. So you run through that, you try to understand what their goals are. And then what happens after that? So you, are you starting to formulate a plan that you implement or what is it that you do after that? Yeah, because based on what the, the goal is, right? So if the goal is I want to increase my revenue by, I'll just pick a number, 22%, something like that, right? Um, then we build a plan out to actually achieve that goal. So based on what they have for resources today, they may need new resources going forward to actually achieve that type of growth. Um, and But the, the, the key is we got to get brutally honest, well, brutally truthful, I should say, on what is the actual goal, because it's no different than, let's say, Mark, we were going to go uh, build a, a new building, you know, no new home, right? Well, what's the first thing we do? We figure out where that building's going to be, what area we want to live in. We then say, okay, we like this type of house, and we'll change our mind five or six times, and then we'll say, okay, this, this is the plan we're going to go on, and then the blueprint comes out. So we build a blueprint for the house exactly the way it's supposed to be. That way, we're not changing all the way in the, in the middle of it saying, oh, we want to move this doorway over here, but we've already put the brick up on the house and it now costs you know three times more to do that, those type of things. So once we get very clear about what's going on and we've assessed where we are and we agree on the plan, the growth plan, then the next step is we have to prioritize what we want in the growth plan first. And what I found best is to work on short-term objectives first. Because if we work on short-term objectives, then we can get some quick cash flow coming into the company. And then what people understand, okay, this is working. I love that kind of perspective. And, and I think when people have goals and, and plans for sales teams, one of the things that I was always looking for is, okay, let's map out the customer journey. Let's look at what happens during the sales process. And, and let's go as deep as we can. And let's see where the chasms are, you know, where people are falling out of the funnel, for example. And, you know, I, I'm probably not 
as well as you did or, or do now, but I always looked at what could we do differently and, and usually involved marketing or it involved something that we weren't doing that the competitors were. Uh, but we spent a lot of time focusing on every single one of those steps and micro steps in order to optimize it. But ultimately, it became such a major job that, um, you know, it, it, we never fully completed it or there was so, so much pressure to get sales that we, you know, we had to focus on our real job, which is, you know, getting bringing in sales for the organization. So some of these things fell to the wayside. So I suspect somebody like you comes in and helps you know, take, pick that up and make sure it's driven to completion. But uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth. So, what is it that that uh, that you do in the in, in the next step from what you just said? So, once we have the prioritization, we look for short term returns, as as we were talking about. And so, you know, one of those might be something as simple as, all right, you have a client base here today, and you have a certain client base that's not here today. They're dormant. They're not taking action. They're there. They know who you are, but they're, they're not taking action. So we'll take a short-term strategy and go back and re-engage past and dormant clients. And every time we do this, they pick up new sales. They pick up clients again, right? So it's a short-term strategy, a short-term bump and getting it. Referrals are another way of doing this. Most sales organizations and organizations in general are not really good at generating referrals. Why aren't they good at generating referrals? Are they not asking? Precisely. I mean, really, it's <clears throat> they have a passive system for doing it. There's no structured process, mandatory, you know, uh, ways of doing this. It's not built into the marketing up front. It's not built into the prospecting. It's not built into the sales process. So when we when we convert it from an active, um, excuse me, a passive to an active program. Well, we find strategic places to ask for referrals all along the, uh, the process. We do it, you know, and we get a referral mindset going within the company. So now referrals are magically happening in the company because salespeople's compensation gets tied to it. You know, the marketing has to have a better focus on it. Customer service can generate referrals. Um, inside support can generate referrals. You know, heck, anybody that they talk to, even the people answering the phone, a lot of times can generate referrals if it's done right. and But there has to be an active, structured, well-defined, everybody knows what the process is, and now everybody's moving in the spirit of the same rank, so magically re uh, referrals appear. Okay, so, because I like this subject, and, and this is something that uh, marketing uh, really should be more involved with, it, it's there's comes a point where a referral makes sense in the sales cycle, and usually it's at the end of the sale and they've had their first experience with the product it is or service is that what you're saying is you know create a referral program at that point or is there some way to generate a referral program going through the sales cycle yeah no there's a way to generate it going through the sales cycle i'll give you an example <clears throat> let's say somebody makes a phone call and the person says no the you know potential buyer right they're like no just don't want that why not ask for a referral right then and there? Mm -hmm. Some people will give you referrals just to get you off the phone. <laughs> right? So, yeah. so how do you institutionalize it then? Just script it, right? Script it at certain points. So, you know, it's a formula more than a script. Yeah. And most of the time, I mean, you've been in sales for a long time. I mean, the, the old adage that, you know, salespeople don't ask for sales 50% of the time. Yeah. And if they just asked for the sale, hey, 
you know, in, in any capacity, right? That's that's respectful. Then they would pick up more sales. It's the same thing for referrals. But if we build into the marketing component on the beginning of it, listen, we love, you know, when our clients are served so well, and we find that our average client usually refers us three other clients, something like that, right? You start framing it in the beginning so that it's not a surprise. So you don't have to wait to the end. Right. Um, and so it's it's all along the process. And for each company, it will be a little bit different, you know, on the timing side of it. But, you know, certainly once the sales made, I mean, that, that should be where the salespeople are being judged as well, because that's fair to them. Um, <laughs> I have a little story. Can I tell a little story? Of course. Yeah, we love stories. So I, I went into this company. They were uh, they supported real estate and um, real estate agents, <clears throat> and they had this recurring program. And uh, so we, we discovered referrals were were missing in the company. So the owner asked me, hey, can you put a program in? So we did similar to what we just talked about, but the sales team was just pushing back. You know, they were reluctant on it. Oh, we don't, referrals don't work here. So I said, well, humor me. Here's, here's what I want you to ask for the first week. You know, just ask this one question. So they did, they came back and they said, see, we, we only got one or two referrals this week. It didn't work, right? And I said, well, okay. Well, why don't we do it another week? And they did it again for another week. They said, see, we're all asking. We're only getting one referral. That's it. This is not worth it. I said, well, let's try it one more week and then we'll, let's see where it is. So they come back to the meeting the next week and they're all quiet. And I said, well, what's up, guys? They go, well, you know, we got one referral this week. I said, okay, great. How'd it go? They go, well, it was 2,700 locations across the United States and we closed it. Mm. <laughs> right? Now think about that. That's 2,700 locations at an average of $1,000 per location. Yeah. Re recurring every single, that's a huge amount of money for this, this size company. Yep. So that can be the power in just asking, right? And having a structured program. That's amazing. I mean, just that one little anecdote, right? Yeah. It's pretty powerful. And I always like to use dating analogies for sales. This is the one place where it doesn't work. <laughs> where, <laughs> you know, you ask a girl out, she says no. You say, well, do you have any friends? <laughs> it's the only thing that doesn't work with my dating analogies in sales because I, I think it's very relevant in a lot of different ways, um, especially as a man, maybe not as a woman. But you know, now, as, now as even the dating world's becoming more and more equal, it, it probably applies to both. Okay, so I, I know we, we took a diversion with referrals because this is something I, you know, as marketers, uh, and as salespeople, I think it's very important to understand and to institutionalize in their process. And yet, I don't think most uh, most companies do that. You could correct me if I'm wrong. Your customers, of course, are, but I don't think most customers uh, or most people listening to this have a, an institutionalized system like this. Oh, without question. At least I haven't found many that do, right? I mean, they have something going on here and there, but it's not institutionalized and well-structured. Okay. All right. Well, let's continue on uh, in terms of optimizing the sales process. So, uh, and I know I cut you off kind of midstream, but uh, I wanted to cover referrals. What is what is it that we that you focus on on in on next with your clients? Uh, metrics and numbers. Yeah. So ratios, right? Good. Yep. So you know how many contacts are going to a first engagement with a conversation. We want to measure ratios like that. So how many initial contacts, like, hey, we just touch base with you. 
we made a connection. How many of those are going to the next stage, right? And how many are going from that stage to the next stage and so on and so on and so on throughout the, through, through the journey? Because if we measure all of these metrics across, we can tell, okay, either our marketing is not working in this capacity, or it's a sales challenge, or it's a fulfillment challenge, or, you know, or it's an operations challenge, or whatever it might be. But if we don't track these things, and we don't look at these minute metrics within the process, then uh, we don't discover a lot of these things. And uh, I had, uh, well... <laughs> Oh, how do I say this? Well, when I took over for Chet's organization, right? Uh, Chet's organization uh, had a, uh, even though they were a sales-driven company, they had a challenge with uh, their reps originally following up with leads. And so I did some ratios and over the five years that I ran the numbers, he, there were 170,000 leads never followed up on. Jeez. Right? And so, you know, we used to, it used to be an average of $13 per lead. So you can do the math. Um, and Whoa. You know, so I uh, I went to Chet and I said, hey, Chet, I have some good news and bad news. <laughs> you know? uh, he said, tell me the bad news for us. So I told him the bad news. He goes, you're crazy. That's There's no way, right? There's no way. I said, here's the spreadsheets. Take a look, right? And so we came up with an idea that we're going to go back after these leads, but he was recruiting a tremendous amount of sales talent on the front end. So he'd bring them in and, you know, sometimes they would recruit, you know, 10 to 30 people a month on the sales channel. So what we decided is we're going to take those 10 to 30 people and we're going to make them prove themselves. How are we going to do it? They got to go back through all these old, old leads and they've got to convert at least five of them before they make it onto the floor. And miraculously, Mark, <laughs> a lot of people were doing it. Yeah. So they were going back and we were recovering the lost revenue, you know, so it's just lost profit at that point for, for, for them. And uh, a lot of those leads actually became really good clients. Some of them ended up spending a quarter million dollars with the company, um, you know, and the, and, and the consulting divisions. What was the age of those though? I mean, on average? Uh, they, they, they range from approximately, you know, a few months to, you know, as, as old as 60 months old. I, I wonder if you're looking at the data, if it's probably skewed to recency, but I'm just making a wild guess. Oh, yeah. Well, recency definitely was a, an easier conversion, right? But, but, but there were leads that were four or five years old that actually started converting. Hmm. Just warned them back up. Yeah, because they were like, yeah, you know what? I, I, I. <laughs> I don't know what happened, you know, but I, you know, I had that problem then I, I still have this problem now. And so now we get to be in this conversation of what are your frustrations, pains and things that are going on in the company. And, you know, and, and so it just leads to the next step. So, but, you know, leads that are, you know, five years old are going to be far uh, more reluctant to convert than, than leads who are six months old who haven't been touched makes a, a lot of sense but it's interesting that you took the time to go back with 170,000 leads and and mine that for for revenue it makes sense but I, I i don't know if a lot of companies do that no they don't they don't no unless they they hire somebody like myself to kind of point those things out because what they do mark is they look at top line most of the time and that's what was happening with chet right yep. so he was looking at top line, which is, you know, what a CEO a lot of times will do. It doesn't make it wrong. They were, you know, 
profitable company that were doing well. Um, but when we're optimizing, what we're doing is we're saying, we're going in, let's say there's you know nine radio dials, we're going in and we're tuning in each dial. And all of a sudden we're finding new stations that are actually highly profitable. Yeah. So, um, you know, I mean, I, I've got a bunch of stories where we just tweaked one or two things and all of a sudden the company just literally grew and sometimes doubled just off one or two things. All right, and I want to get back to ratios and and, and that aspect because I'm big on you know setting KPIs and making sure that they you know we, we reach them or at least track them to tweak them in in order to you know keep moving them the direction that we need to do. It, so do you go in and you set all these sales KPIs based on their process and and based on what you've identified and then does the client manage those going forward and you teach them how or are you in there doing that? Uh, e all of the above. Right. So the again, depending on their goal is going to depend on what we're going to measure. Right. So some people have been putting a tremendous amount into marketing, but it's not working. And so we're going to look more at that side of the house. You know, if they've got a a 45 percent conversion rate going on on the sales side and that's acceptable and but they're not getting enough qualified leads to come through. Well, then, you know, where's the challenge? Right. So so. A lot of times what will happen is I'll come in and initially I'll be the guy who, you know, is directing or helping other people to actually accomplish these. Because what I want to do is set up a system so that I can exit out so they can be autonomous without having to continue to pay me. I know that's, you know, but in my model, I'd like to get in and I'd like to get out when I'm doing, you know, that type of work. Um, and then what they usually do is they'll, they'll hire me back in for something else, right? So we get something running as a smooth system for them. Um, so, you know, it depends upon the end goal, but then, you know, we structure the, the KPIs, but I mean, a lot of the, a lot of things that you and I would talk about that would be blindingly obvious to some companies are not right. And it, and it doesn't necessarily have to even be on their sales side. It can be, you know, I have one client that grew from 3 million to 17 million in one year. And when I was talking with them, they couldn't figure out what was wrong. And I said, well, what's going on? They're like, I-, I think we're like 60 to 90 days out of business. So what that told me was one of two things, either their expenses were extremely high and they weren't watching those right. or something was funky with the books, right? Just didn't make sense. Well, there's no uh, profit in the product or service they were offering. Exactly. There's another, there's another thing, right? So, so I immediately said, "Hey, can we take a look at the at the at the books?" Because I suspected that that might be the first thing. And believe it or not, eleven million dollars was over 180 days never collected. What? So it was an AR problem? Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> so so I asked him. I said, "Well, what, you know, who's your bookkeeper? Who's doing this collecting money?" Oh, they were friends of my my daughters, right? And I'm like, "Well, what kind of bookkeeping experience do they have?" Like, I don't know. <laughs> so. You know, and so we went back and had from three million to seventeen million, and they forget to have, you know, a, a very important part of that uh, that team, which is a qualified bookkeeper. Uh, okay, that's funny. Anyway, <laughs> well, all right. So KPIs are important. What? What? Anything beyond that? I mean, holding them accountable, accountable, holding the sales team accountable. Um, You've got all that in place. Is there some sort of review at the end of you know a, a sales optimization process? Uh, I, I suspect you institutionalize this optimization over time, and 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 so how do you do that? 
So there, there can be reviews at the end of it. I mean, usually it's pretty obvious if the company is growing, you know, by X percent, right? Then they're happy with that. So they're like, okay, this is working. But, you know, there's always places to go back and, and re-optimize consistently. You know, it's, it's never a done job, really, when it's, yeah. when it's done right. Well, things change and new products are launched and... Well, yeah. I mean, look, right now, a lot of companies have had to figure out how to go from, you know, belly to belly sales to virtual sales. Yeah. Right. And, you know, there's also a bigger, higher demand and need now for employee safety than there ever was in the past. So setting budgets, they have to be a little bit more flexible than they used to be. And, you know, sometimes CFOs don't like that. <laughs> right. Or CEOs, because they want to plan budgets based on what they're they're supposed to be projecting on. So you got to roll with the times a little bit in these things, but it's a never ending. If you, if one wants to do it over and over and over and over again, they will continue to find untapped revenue in their company and higher profit centers. Great point. Uh, you did bring up something I want to cover before we close. And that is, uh, have they, have some of these companies asked you back to kind of say, okay, now that we're in COVID, we're not doing face-to-face -face sales, we're doing it through Zoom and, and other means and conference calls and all that. Did Have they brought you back in to re-optimize it or are you just you know, kind of translating their current sales process into a more virtual one? How, how does that all work? So for some clients, they brought me back in to re-optimize. I've had clients who've done that you know, three, four times sometimes, um, you know, over, several year period right yep so um and you know each time they've grown i mean i started with one company that was three and a half they brought me in they went from three and a half to five brought me in again they went from five to six and a half brought me in again went from six and a half to almost 11 million right so just at different stages there's different levers to pull if you will mm -hmm. um and then some companies are, are just you know in a, in a place where it's like i need this to happen now because that's the priority so going from i i don't you know we were uh you know a home goods company selling windows doors whatever it might be we were doing a lot of face-to-face -face. now we're doing it virtually and we're not able to really understand how to translate what we were doing before to what we're doing now so sometimes they'll bring me in just for that kind of that fix um but what whatever moves the needle is what we talk about okay but there, there is a different approach then to optimize a virtual sales team, I suspect. Actually, it's probably more like an inside sales team at that point um, than an outside sales team. I mean, you've, if, they're not, if they're not pressing the flesh with, with their customers um, and they're doing it virtually, it seems to me there'd have to be a shift in, in how you optimize that, I'm guessing. Yeah, they're, they're, there's a slight shift. I mean, it's really more about building high rapport. Yeah. Right. Rapport is important. You can't take them to golf, though. You can't take them to dinner. No, 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 no. There's, you know, you so can go virtual you, golf. So, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to play on the Xbox. Uh, but, but how isn't that another skill or do you find that outside salespeople have the same rapport building skills? On no, 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 no. <laughs> rapport building is another skill. It's, it's definitely a skill and in virtual rapport building as well, because with outside sales, you don't have to do the same type of follow-up or, or follow, you follow up in different ways, right? So with virtual sales, you have to overcompensate for communication drops. You have, one must 
overcompensate on the amount of follow-up that's provided because people are busy, yeah. right? And so you don't have the luxury of, okay, hey, listen, we're going to you know go to lunch anymore, right? At this point. I mean, you could do a virtual lunch, which we have. Um, you know, sometimes even virtually, you know, the old lunch and learn process where, you know, now you can do virtual trainings, right? But the thing is, is you've, you've got to constantly build connection, rapport, uh, and engagement over a virtual medium where a lot of that is just naturally built in in a face-to-face -face environment. Wow. Okay. All right. Um, well, we're going to wrap things up here. Uh, but I do have a few questions to ask before we do. And we ask most of our guests these questions. But the, your first question, what is the hottest digital marketing technology that you recommend? I loved your answer, quizzes. Why quizzes? Uh, because everybody wants to know something about themselves, right? Um, and so quizzes engage that curiosity factor within the human being. I mean, if you look at, you know, I mean, you go go to the grocery store, they have these magazines sitting there, you know, uh, and they'll, you know, what's your, you know, whatever body type or what's your, what's your, you know, spouse's personality type in X, Y, Z, right? So those are quizzes really when they come down to it, right? They're, they're engaging and they're asking questions. And what I love about quizzes is, are that it's a very easy entry point for somebody to start a discussion to start building a relationship. And so if quizzes are done appropriately, you can actually segment and bucket each one of the uh, profiles of the person you're looking for. And then, then you'll know what to offer that person versus just not having that information up front. And people love quizzes. It's, you know, they, they just love it. So it's, it's a high engagement strategy. And, uh, you know, utilizing those, now you can drive them from that quiz into either a product sale or you can drive them from the quiz even into a phone call, right, or a consultation. So there's all kinds of ways to use quizzes. But, yeah, I love quizzes. Yeah, I, I do too. If they're done correctly and if they're done as a way uh, to learn. See, I, I use quizzes not just for lead generation but also to, to learn how to segment my audience. Mm -hmm. so, so we'll ask uh, – I don't know why I'm, why I'm whispering here, but uh, – <laughs> Because I, I, you know, um, <clears throat> these are little trade secrets that I, I, I reveal every once in a while. But my my quizzes are not just for lead generation. You know, you get you'll get an uh, outcome that you're comfortable with. But what I'm also doing is segmenting you. So once I segment you, then I could figure out a way to market to you with the right messaging. And you know, you just don't volunteer that information normally. But in a quiz, most people are like, yeah, you know, I'll segment myself because I want the best answer. So I'm not going to give you a bullshit response. Uh, so, so our, our clients love these quizzes that help them segment their audience more. And, and then we just send them targeted messages. Our funnels all change based on what these segmentations are. It, it, segmentation is a really valuable optimization uh, process, a uh, technique, if you will, because, you know, if we're, if we're able, like, you know, go back to chat, right? Um, so Chet had a program that he was running. He called it the Sales Mastery System, and it wasn't really selling all that well. You know, they had it out at uh, I think it was eight hundred mm -hmm. and ninety-five dollars. It was more of a self-paced type thing. So I I did a, not quizzes, but I went back and you know surveyed the audience and talked to a bunch of people, and I found out, hey, you know what? They really want coaching involved in this. So I took the same product, called it the same thing. Oh no, I changed the name just slightly. Uh, 
took the same exact pro uh, program he had, added six weeks of group coaching, raised the price from $895 to $1,450. And the first month, he went from selling eight a month to 108 a month. Second month, we went over 200. Third month, we went over 300, <laughs> right? And so when you segment and you offer the right program or product to somebody, it's a much easier time to convert that product, uh, that, that person into the product or service. So segmentation, I'm, I'm a big fan of. So the fact that you use quizzes to do that, that's awesome. Yeah. It's a little hidden hack, uh, mm -hmm. but people are opting in instead of, you know, Facebook, Google watching them mysteriously from, from the outset. I mean, you know you're taking part of it. You don't know you're being segmented, but you know you're taking part in this. So uh, that's, uh, I think it's ethically and, and uh, realistically one of the better ways to, to figure out what, how to segment your audience. So um, with that, Doug, I, I want to wrap things up. And um, I want to uh, make sure that everyone knows where to find you. So uh, business success, success factors at www.businesssuccessfactors.com. And where else can they find you? How do they reach you if they want to work with you? Well, they, they can email me directly at Doug at businesssuccessfactors.com. And if they email me in, uh, I got a, a cool little tool. It's called a sales and marketing checklist. They can start self-assessing their their company i thought you were gonna say quiz <laughs> we we're, we're actually working on that quiz to be honest with you stay so, tuned for the quiz. yeah yeah we have one on uh, i wrote a book on uh, you know the psychology and uh philosophy and practicality of resolving objections in a win-win fashion so we have a quiz for that um, but they, but they can they can um <clears throat> they can email me they can call me directly at 603-595 0303 or if they want to connect on linkedin i'm doug brown 1234 you would think that would be easy enough but sometimes it doesn't come up so you just type in doug brown berkeley college of music that will come up uh you know so i did go to berkeley but i never graduated from berkeley so the universities i graduated from they don't come up but berkeley does so hmm, what does that tell us about well it's uh yeah a stronger keyword so all right well thank you very much and um uh, it was a pleasure talking to you. Same here, Mark. I had this was a lot of fun. I really appreciate being here and ha you having me on as a guest. Thank you.